0: So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details.
1: In the June edition of History Today, we've got a fascinating article by Guy Atkins. It's called The Edwardian Social Network, and it draws parallels between the social media of today and postcards of the Edwardian period and the late Victorian period. Guy's with us today. And um, this is an extraordinary phenomenon, but the parallels are very real, aren't
2: they? Yes, they are. And the more you think about it, the more the, more the, the, the parallels and the links are um, uh, extraordinary, really, because the postcard obviously is a short, um, a short way of, of communicating.
1: With parallels to Twitter, with
2: parallels with parallels to Twitter, um, but what makes it extraordinary is the fact that at the time you could, in Edwardian Britain, particularly in the urban areas, send a postcard in the morning and it would arrive by early afternoon, and it was possible even to then reply to that postcard and for it to return um, by the evening. So you were able. So there was this instant element to the postcard on top of its brevity which, of course, is very, very similar to a tweet or a text message.
1: So the whole phenomenon of what we're calling the Edwardian social network is dependent upon the infrastructure that's there of the post office. Yes, that's
2: right. Um, So in the centre of London, 1908, there were up to 12 deliveries a day uh, coming out of um, St Martin's Le Grand in the city. In the, the suburbs, there would still be six posts
1: a day. And why were they so keen on having so many? What was the purpose of it? What was the thinking behind that? Well, I think the postcard
2: made the most of how proud people were of the post office. This was something that um, Britain was proud of compared to other countries. And the number of people that were working in the post office was extraordinary. So by 1913-14, by you had a quarter of a million people working for the post office, which was the peak in terms of labour force, of of the post office in in its history. So it is a very unique time. At the same time, people are becoming um, increasingly literate. The postcard has this extra advantage compared to a letter because it is half the price of sending a letter. Um, So more people, um, over time, became comfortable in using it.
1: And what sort of price are we talking about with the postcard?
2: so for a letter clearly we still had the, the the penny post um but for the postcard you could send it for half that so for a half a pen. so between 1870 when it was introduced to 1918 the price of sending a postcard was just a half penny and, and what's also important to sort of appreciate in, in the development of the postcard is that it was initially a very dull object and i've got this this one this one here it was the official postcard. Mm-hmm. The, so there
1: was one standard official So There was postcard.
2: one standard postcard. There were different thicknesses of, of card that you could that you could, that you could choose.
1: And that would affect the price of postage?
2: Not the postage. The postage right, would okay. still be would still be half, a pen, half a pence half pence half penny. Um, but what this meant was that it was something that um, had real limitations in terms of how people could use it. Yeah. You had to, have an, it had to have one side reserved for the address. Mm-hmm. That was the front. Any message had to go on, on, on the back of the, the postcard. Only by 1894 did the post office relax this restriction so that people could publish private postcards that could have a half-pence stamp attached because in that first postcard, the stamp's already on. Um, the postcard. So after 1894, you get this (laughs) liberalisation of of the postcard market, Um, still significant restrictions compared to other countries. So Germany um, was uh, well ahead of the game in terms of the size of postcards that that they were allowed and the freedom that publishers had. Uh, um, So in Britain, even up to 1899, there were still small postcards. Uh, I've got one here which shows the image having to having to jostle with the message, and that's the image on one of side.
1: Hope and Viaduct, which is still very much with us today, and it, you, you can tell from that, that where where you are.
2: The quality of the printing is is, is, is very good, mm-hmm. um, but it couldn't do justice to um, as Henric Heaton, who was the sort of post office uh, reformer, um, who was the the real pain for the post office because he was forever. Asking for better and better uh, conditions for people to be able to use the post, he uh, there's a great phrase of his where he said that the, the, the postcard that size couldn't do justice to Arundel Castle to Windermere, um, and sure, so but- it was the postcard had to get had to get bigger. It was only in 1899 when we reached the stage where we've got the postcard. The size that we recognise today. So
1: there was a real aesthetic about this. The, the, the promotion of this was an aesthetic one. Very it? much,
2: and of course, because it was in the private, because once the private sector were involved, yeah. publishers would compete intensively to bring out the most interesting designs, uh, the most collectible items as well. Because as we move in, move into, into the twentieth century, um, the collecting bug really caught off. Um, so and pre-
1: photography is established by them. Photography is well.
2: established. Photography is established. The printing is getting cheaper and cheaper, because Britain was behind. It was it was Germany where the printing was based, as is so often the as, case. And 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 so British publishers, by and large, would import the, the finished article uh, from Saxony. Um, and at the same time, we have these these moments where um, postcard publishers are changing the form to make their market share increase. So Hartman, Frederick Hartman, who in many can claim, like many, to perhaps to have invented the final postcard, um, realised that if you put a line down the back of the postcard so that you had the address and the message on one side, leaving a full side for the image, the postcard became an even more attractive object that people would want to use and collect.
1: And that's the absolutely key development in the popularisation of the postcard. I
2: think that's the that, that, that's the key. And so it's still,
1: and it's still the, the form that we find it in today?
2: It's still the it's still form where people are expecting to send the postcard. What I find quite interesting is that in galleries, for example, um, the postcards often now don't have the line down the back because it's not
1: expected that they'll be sent. It's something that will be kept and put on a fridge door. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, when when is when does that development happen? That separation. That's. And have you got an example of uh, of one of the first ones? Yes. Um,
2: so ninth, people could write. Uh, the post office had already granted the, the the right to sign your name on the address side, but were reluctant to encourage people to put too much on there because they wanted an efficient post yeah. postal service. They thought that people sorting the mail would be drawn into reading people's messages. So it, it was 1902, uh, the middle of 1902, when Hartman started producing these postcards.
1: And Hartman is based where?
2: Well, he is based about 30 yards from, from Hoban Viaduct, Hoban okay. Viaduct which okay. is why that one, yeah. Is, yeah. I wanted to, to buy it when I saw okay. it. Um, because, and, and from that moment, other publishers decided that that made sense for them so you had a, a, a copycat uh, um um product so the postcard um became that uniform um uh, form of having the front for the picture which people still wrote on um, and marked things on but the back had that divide
1: and that front becomes a canvas in that sense and, front, and that, and that image then becomes the image front yeah.
2: so previously the, imi- the front yeah. had been the address side. Yeah. Now we have the, the front being the image,
1: and because what we have there, drawing further parallels with today's social media, is that you have a language that develops, a grammar that develops um, in this small, uh, finite medium, very finite medium. Um, which you can't do a lot with, but you can use various tools, various grammars, various techniques um, to make your point.
2: Yes. And the more you look at these cards, the more languages emerge. Um, Yes, there are the abbreviations like we would have uh, today in a a tweet or, or a text. Like L-O-L. Like, like LOL, um, uh, calling people by a single initial as opposed to their full name, not, not introducing a postcard with dear
1: X. So this gets rid of the formality of the letter that's been established for so long? The
2: formality of the letter is, is very much challenged and is another reason why people want to engage with the form of the card. You don't have to sign off. It can be anonymous even right? in a postcard, um, okay. as well as at the same time it being cheap, a cheaper alternative. And that was something which did concern people when it was introduced. The Lord Mayor of London in 1870 wanted to make people aware of the dangers of people sending in obscene messages into people's homes. And there were a series of court cases where people were accused of doing just that. Um, and it was seemed to be something that needed to be punished severely. Um, I, I, I always uh, laugh when I see these these stories because, of course, the, um, the postcard message is then reprinted in the newspaper that,
1: that's reporting, reporting the court case. So have you got examples of these innovative uses of language, of symbolism?
2: Yes. Uh, um, one of the most... One common um, way of playing with the, the form of the postcard was to angle the stamp, which was known as the, the language of stamps. In many ways, it was like the emoticon today in the smiley face, in that it it lightened the tone of the message. Obviously, it's hard to look back and see which ones are deliberate compared to which ones were just were Just Just askew. But it's quite clear that this was uh, uh, something that people did deliberately. Um, And there were even language of stamp cards that were then produced to give people a guide as to what that code might mean. Those cards weren't definitive. Those cards were typically used by putting an X Next to the message that you were replacing, um, but certainly the language of stamps was was one of the most interesting um, was was one way of, of playing with the with the postcard. Another was writing in code as well, so people would take advantage of the cheap postage um, enjoy perhaps even trying to um, avoid the eyes of other people in the household, the postal workers en route. And so we'd use Morse code, we'd use shorthand, we'd use various substitution codes, um, replacing a letter with a number, mirror writing even. Mm. Sometimes serious, sometimes not so, sometimes simply because it was
1: enjoyable to have that private code. Do we have a a time when this comes to an end, in a sense, this, this kind of great... Period of, of, of postcards, isn't it? yes, we do, because it seems to be very much before the First World War. Really. It, it, we, it, it is, it and it there are a number of
2: factors for... which lead to the end of what postcard collectors would call the golden age of postcards before the First World War. First of all, the cost increases. So, in 1918, it goes up to a penny. It goes up again later, and um, we have the rise of the telephone as something that people will use to communicate for those short messages. Um, particularly, being, particularly in the twenties, um, the postal the post office isn't as effective after the the war. The, the number of deliveries a day never recovers to the the, the years just before the First World War, um, and the collecting uh, the collecting craze didn't last. It, that wasn't something that was as important to people as before. As before the First World War, um, we didn't have
1: the these big competitions that the publishers would organise. Well, thank you, Guy. Thank you very much. An absolutely fascinating article. And um, for those who want to see some examples of these postcards, it's in the June issue of History Today, and there are also some more on our website as well. So, thank you, Guy.
0: My pleasure.